Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. This week, I'm joined by Lauren Silvers and Lisa Marie, who are the founders of an app, or more importantly, a business called Glamazon. Now, this app is like Uber for beauty services. People can book hairdressers, makeup artists, and more through the app, and they'll come to your house, office, hotel, or you can meet them in the park if you want. The payment is all taken care of within the app, so there's no fuss, no chasing money, or disputing prices. Now, Glamazon has grown to 30,000 users, and they've also raised $1.2 million in capital to keep growing and expanding. That's an important part, having raised that money. We've got lots to talk about, so let's get into it. Lauren, Lisa, welcome to The Mentor. Thank, Thank you. Right, Glamazon. I like, actually really love the name, Glamazon. Um, presumably, uh, Amazon hasn't sort of struck sort of action <laughs> against you. They're not upset. You're not doing sort of the, passing off action, nothing. We got in early. I think it was 2013 we registered the trademark. Yep. So we were pretty lucky. I think there was an action, a class action mm-hmm. recently, a business called Glamazon in Perth um, wanted to, they updated their trademark, didn't they, to yeah. cash with? Glamazon the label and they wanted to register another trademark in retail services and Amazon did oppose it. So I think that's still going through court at the moment. I can imagine. But mm-hmm. sometimes controversy is great. But uh, the Glamazons, I don't know, it, it elicits all sorts of images to me. Uh, I don't know if this is something that accords with your views on it, but the images that I, I, I think about, I actually think of sort of Wonder Woman or I think of, um, I don't know, uh, African woman athletic running through the sort of jungle, but beautiful and like all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's got a cool. I think uh, there's definitely uh, notions of confidence wrapped up in the word. Yeah. And that's when I came up with the name for it. I had walked out of a salon and I had my hair done and I thought, I feel like a glamazon. You felt, yeah. So you, you, so it it embodied how I felt. That's a good name. It's a very good name, Glamazon. And, and and what's interesting about it too is, um, and for those people listening, um, a name to be remember, a name that needs to be memorable. If you need the name to be memorable, it's good to have strong letters in there. So, Zon is a strong sound, mm-hmm. and Ma is a strong sound. Gl is a strong sound. Glamazon is a strong sounding word. It's it's not just images but it's also the tone that you can say the word with like it's like virgin mm. and i had a business called wizard yeah mm-hmm. there there's so, some strong zeds are very zeds good are, yeah and you know you've got so it's a very strong sounding word um and that helps the imagery it's great i love it, it sounds empowering 
thinks. Sounds we apparent. Think so. Tell me the story. How did Glamazon get started? Like, where did you guys meet? Um, what are your backgrounds? Start with you, Lauren. Okay, so I was a publicist uh, before I started Glamazon, and the nature of being in the publicity game is you have events all the time. Uh, you have to greet, you know, important guests at parties, and I had to look polished head to toe all the time. So I not thought, dissimilar the way you look now. Oh, thank you. Well, I just look now, like I rolled out of bed. You guys have <laughs> we glammed up a like. team on call. <laughs> <laughs> so I sought out to uh, build what at the time was a salon booking platform. I was frustrated that I could never see at one glance the availability of um, salon appointments nearby to where I was. And with the emergence of Uber and Airbnb, I thought, you know, technologies like this exist. Why can't I I just transfer that into the salon space. Marketplace. Marketplace. Okay, so that's what Glamazon is. It's yes. It's marketplace inspired by a problem that you you were being exposed to, and you come up with a solution. Exactly. It's using technology. Exactly. But two years into that, two and a half years into the salon space, I saw a cultural shift towards peer to peer services. At home beauty services, I knew was going to be the next biggest thing, and you know I wanted a faster route to market. I'd learned a lot of lessons in the two and a half years, and um, that I guess that led me to look for merger opportunities in the market, and I guess that led me to Lisa. So tell me the story, Lisa. So I have another business, um, a fashion label based overseas. I've had it for 10 years now, and so I was running that and living in America at the time. So explain to me what the fashion business is, like your fashion business. What, is, what are we talking it's about here? It's women's swimwear. So I sell into Nordstrom's, Bloomingdale, Selfridges. A lot of celebrities over in the States have worn the label. It's got some really good traction over there. And it's to a stage now that I don't have to be involved on a day-to-day basis. I was living over there for six years and I noticed an emerging trend in the market for at-home beauty services. So something that was becoming really popular in America. And at that stage, I was moving back to Australia and I looked here in the market and there was nothing. So big gap in the market. This amazing company was, you know, happening in America. And I thought I could launch something similar over here. And I did. And that was... When was that? 2016. 2016, the beginning of 2016. And then mid-2016, I launched the company to market. At that stage, I met an investor very early on. I think it was a month into launch. And he loved what I was doing. So what, Just can I just slow you down a little bit? Yeah. So you launched a... Uh, At-home freelancer. A, 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 yeah. A, a, yeah. You, you launched a, a, um, a, a marketplace whereby beauty, be, well, whoever, what do you call them, beauty consultants, whatever you call them. Yeah. Um, what do you call them? Therapists. We call them stylists. Stylists. Stylist, that's the word. Yeah. I've just went through an episode in the TV show. <laughs> we had to call them stylists. That's right. Stylist. So you, where you, you, would, you would match a stylist through, through, through using technology? So at the start, what I the, the model that I used was um, the stylist would upload their availability into a diary system um, and then those appointments would show on a front end to a customer as right. bookable. There was a few issues with that model because people didn't want to or were too lazy to update their diary consistently. So there were appointments there that were available that were booked and then I'd, the stylist would ring me and say, oh, by the way, I'm busy now, I can't do that. So very early on, I learned that the diary system and, and um, relying on people to update diaries does not work. So, but you, but you did have a marketplace for I did. Uh, peer-to-peer, that is beauty services, therapists, stylists yeah. being um, matched with um, consumers who needed it at home. 
Right. Or office or wherever. Yeah, home office. So that was, and you got yourself an investor? So I didn't have an investor myself. Um, My other company, I bootstrapped and that's a multi-million dollar international label now. And it took a long time and it was very hard. And so when I launched Glam Crew, it was called Glam Crew, which is kind of funny because it's similar to Glamazon at the time. Um, I wanted a faster route to success, obviously, and I was looking around for options. I met an investor at that time. Um, He wanted to do something with me. He wasn't sure what. He went away and did his DD on me, found Lauren and basically said to me, I love her branding. I love your business model. I want you two to come together and merge. And if you do, I'll invest. Oh, very good. So, <laughs> and this individual, you knew him or? No, no, he obviously was looking up Glam Crew and looking up the market in Australia and thought, what else is out there? And found Glamazon. Um, and oh, you're, at, you're an existent. I was, yeah, so I had been running since 2013 as a salon booking platform. Right, yeah, yeah. And so he called me up and he said, have you been considering, would you consider moving into the freelancer space? I said, funny that you've called me right now because that's exactly what I want to do. And he said he had someone to introduce me to. Little did I know, Lisa and I lived two streets away. We turned up in the same outfit when we came to meet each other. Today, like, we turn up in the same outfits every day. We (laughs) finish each other's sentences. We're one person now. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was... It was really, it was like the stars were aligned with, mm-hmm. with when, with the meeting and we shook hands over a deal, you know, an hour or two later. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Easy. And when it came to the armrest or which name you were going to use, um, why did Glamazon win over Glam Our Glam investors crew? said, it, you just have to. That and yeah. Lauren was established. There's a, there was a lot of press around Glamazon. It was in vogue, Harper's Bazaar and Glam Crew was a very new company. It was about a month old. So it was a no brainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. a publicist. So I, those strengths, I played to those strengths and I built the demand side. I think when we merged, we had, I had about 10,000 customers. Mm-hmm. Lisa had the supply side because of course she had this huge network of um, beauty professionals through her fashion label. So it was a complimentary merger opportunity. It was very mutually beneficial for both of us. So can I ask you, is it a 50-50 deal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 50 deal. And your investor, how did that work? Tell me, how did the investor – because, you know, people listening to this right now is going, oh, wow, I could do something like that. You know, it's not that easy. But, um, wow, I could do something like that in some other area or maybe even in this area to build some competition. I don't know. But, but the thing that they all get sort of a bit um, – overexcited about is the potential of getting an investor mm. and what you've got to give away. Mm. How does that work? My feeling on investment is it sh- <clears throat> investment is a vehicle to accelerate growth that you're already seeing. You need to be able to demonstrate that you can execute properly and deliver numbers on a board, on a page, before you even go and get investment. I think there's this fallacy that you come up with this idea get investment and you build the business. Mm. It's a Silicon Valley kind of um, mentality. And I think people underestimate the importance of manual labor just to to get that product market fit stage out of the way. You know, Lisa and I both went around uh, went about it a similar way. Mm-hmm. I used to call salons every afternoon to find out what their availability was like for the next day, type it into a Google sheet, which acted as a back end to this terrible website that I had, um, you know, hired someone to build for me. And when a customer pressed book, it actually sent me an email 
And I would just manually call the salon, book them in, and send the customer what looked like an automated email. Well, that worked. Fake it to make it. Yeah. <laughs> we, Perception's we, reality. We both did it that way. Yeah. My diary system obviously failed at the start. So I was scrambling on the phones trying to find someone to cover appointments. But, um, yeah, it's right. It, you proved a product market fit. And we knew that um, we could see the growth, I think, with my original company. The first month we did... 3,000 in sales and the second month it was 5,000 and the third month it was 10,000. So there was really consistent growth. And I think at that time I spent $600 on AdWords a month. So for for that small amount of investment, there was definitely a market for it. Um, and we just proved that out when we merged mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah. but, uh, but, I, I, but guys, I, I, you've got an investor sitting over there, some guy. Mm-hmm. Is it a guy we're talking about? Yeah, guy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he was interested in putting the first lot of seed investment mm-hmm. into this yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but what did he ask you for? I mean, you just sort of explained to everybody that, you know, it's not it's not all beer and Skittles and it's not easy, but, yeah. but you've got to demonstrate growth and it's got to be written down. Mm-hmm. But what did he want from you? Did he, I mean, apart from getting you two guys to merge, mm-hmm. merger ideas, yeah. which I think, you know, that makes sense. What else did he want to see from you before he invested? How much? Do you mind if I ask? Sure. The first investment round was 300000 Okay. So he um, got, he got, he put 300 grand into mm-hmm. the business. You didn't take anything out. No. The money went into the business mm-hmm. yeah. and I, I presume that went to build your website and redo everything yeah. mm-hmm. and build all your executable um, mm-hmm. your functions. Mm-hmm. Um, but what did he What did he want you to do? Did he say, okay, before I put the money in, I need a five-year budget, a five-year plan, five-year forecast, I need – you know what? It, you know what? How can you scale this, etc.? Yeah, it wasn't like that at the start because it was an idea. It was just um, the very beginning, and for us, what was and for him, I think what was most important for him and his venture capital firm was to invest in the right founders. So it was very important for them to understand our backgrounds and our passion um, and feel comfortable that we were good founders. So what you're saying to me? Because at that time, it was just a great idea, it, unproven. It was very early. It was yeah. very early. Yeah. We, like Lisa said, we had about, at that stage, $10,000 a month in revenue. We had just over 10,000 users on the platform and we had 200 freelancers around Australia already. So it was a pretty decent start. Um, he did ask us for a few, you know, he, he looked at our bank accounts. He made, he confirmed that everything that we were saying was, was true. true. Yeah. But as Lisa says, just to echo um, what Lisa basically just told you, was that it was about investing in the right people and the founders. Um, and so we didn't have to put together, you know, we put a, for, a financial forecast together, mm-hmm. but nothing, you know, no five-year plan. He was pretty... Um, I guess, realistic about the fact that things are just going to change so much in the next year. It's so early stage. He was just putting his trust and faith in us to okay, good. go with it. Okay, good. And, and that happens. Was he Australian or American? Australian. Right, okay. So they're rare in Australia, by the way. I mean, there's more, more, they're more common in the US, but like in Australia, to get people to invest in mm. two people. Mm-hmm. But that's the only way he could invest because he had no business at that stage, really. I mean, right. he had a good idea, and he, but he had two people who he took the view could execute. Um for those people listening, did he just drop three hundred thousand dollars in your account, or did he say it's a hundred thousand a year, or a hundred thousand a quarter, or how's it a hundred thousand a milestone, or? No, it was an agreement for the three hundred thousand, and it did come in small amounts. So I think we got twenty thousand dollars at a time over a period of a few months. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, consistently though, right. until okay. the three hundred thousand was there. So in other words, it was money to get you through the whatever it is you're burning every month. Correct. And, and and then and 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 did he then ask you to provide milestones? Okay, so you couldn't give him a forecast, but did he say okay? But I want a milestone report every three months. So you know, like if you said, 
Lauren or you said um, Lisa Marie, like I can – I keep thinking of Elvis Presley. Can, Lisa's so. fine. <laughs> Let's get you off that tangent. <laughs> okay. So but every time uh, – did he say, I want a, a three-month report on the on the website build or I want to – what were the milestones you want to put in place? We, we have an end-of-monthly report and a conference call. So I, that's developed as we've got more investors on board. But even at that stage, we were reporting all of our numbers, um, our failings, you know, our advantages, what we had, what we, was going on in the business every month at the end of the month and talking about it afterwards. So that's important, accountability. Because I mean, I think what a lot of people think is, oh, how lucky they are. Someone dropped $300,000 in their pocket Mm-mm. and they just no. went off their merry way and no. you know, they put 100000 in each pocket and they built, you know, like there's a lot of naivety out there, okay? So I think what's important is it establishes that you had somebody who said, all right, all right, I think it's a great idea, unproven. Let's test it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put. I'm going to commit three hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. I'll do it uh, over you know over a period of months or whatever the time time limit is. Plus, you've got to provide to me something. Because yeah. so, at some stage you could have said, "Hey guys, this is not working. I'm not dropping any more money on this." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that's really important. So mm-hmm. milestones. So who created the milestones? Was it him or was it you? They created the original milestones and they actually gave they being us, the investors, the, the investors yeah. a template that we had to fill out. So there right. was certain criteria which we had to provide. Right. Okay. So they're professional investors who have, a, um, who have a roadmap mm-hmm. as to how you got to perform. And were there ever any pressure periods where you thought you're not going to get there? You thought, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have those days still all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but our investors, I think they're so great because they make us feel comfortable to be totally transparent and to report when we're actually having a, a big challenge or an obstacle. And they like when we report on bad numbers because that's a problem that then you can solve. There's no point fluffing up your numbers and revealing great numbers all the time. How are you going to grow from there? So they've made us feel comfortable from the get-go that's it's it's pretty cool so um tell me about the challenges because you know it's not just maybe going to have a great idea you had to prepare a website you had to prepare its functionality mm-hmm. I, know, I see that you know people can make payments etc through the website yeah. mm-hmm. who built the website at first, when I started Glamazon, so we, we ended up transferring all of my technology into the new merged entity, um, I got an Australian development company called Mobiusly, and I was connected to them through my mentor, Rob. So early on, I got a mentor on board, and he introduced me to the right people. How did you find – so he found th- this um, This web builder? Yeah, yeah, and he'd used them for multiple jobs before, and they had a great reputation. They were in Sydney, so I could physically go into their office, whiteboard staff. I'm very hands-on. And so that was important to me, especially because I'd heard that offshoring, you know, the communication barrier, the time lag, it's too hard. I built my MVP offshore (laughs) and there was multiple times where my laptop nearly went out the window. It was really stressful and difficult. And obviously that's the reason why we use Lauren's tech and not mine. Okay, because I think everyone, again, our audience (laughs) needs to hear this because people go, oh, well, I'll just go and find a, you know, a a software architect and a develop a dev team and a testing team, all that sort of stuff. Okay. It's not that easy. Um, you just, and again, they're expensive. They can be expensive. If you get it wrong, you just keep throwing money at Very it. Very yeah. expensive. And you have to be in charge of it because they'll run off on their own tangent because they don't know what your vision is yeah. and they don't know what your consumer wants. Mm-hmm. So exp- It's the equivalent of, because we're non-technical co-founders, it's the equivalent of taking our car to the mechanic and them telling us they have to do X, Y, Z to it and it's going to cost $3,000 when really maybe if we knew more about it, it might be a $300 um, you know, 
exercise. So for us, the biggest challenge was being non-technical co-founders and not understanding what they were proposing to build and how expensive it should be. So it was important for us to have strategic investors around us and advisors and mentors to help us get through those challenges. Okay, so your your advisors helped you with the brief yeah, right. to the, the agency that you use to build your, your, exactly. your functionality, your front end, your yeah. app. Yeah. I mean, and what's interesting to me is, you know, people describe these businesses as an app. I mean, the app's nothing. I mean, the app's, the app's just a way to the business. Um, there's a whole lot of technology that sits behind the app. And uh, then there's a whole lot of business principles that sit behind the technology. The technology is just an enabler. The app's just the front door. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I think, you know, because, you know, I, I hear people say to me all the time, oh, I've got this really great idea for an app. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what app? There's millions of apps. There's like so many apps so you can't fit them on your phone. So don't, don't talk to me about app. Yeah. What's the business? So let me ask you, what's your business? We have a double-sided marketplace for beauty appointments. So it's a, tech, beauty yeah, it's a tech platform. It's a tech platform. Mm-hmm. That's the enabler. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you've built a marketplace. Right. And yeah. you've got a, a friendly place where people can go to. Don't. Um, so, what are the what are the messages that your marketplace, uh, Glamazon, send to people that they don't get from anywhere else? In other words, let's say um, I could look up. I don't know. This is going to be a difficult one because I don't know what a stylist would know where to find a stylist. But <laughs> let's define them in the. Let's say. Let's say I look up the newspaper, <laughs> make <making up, laughs> the classifieds. Look look up uh, beauty therapists or something. Um, what is it that you're, apart from the obvious stuff, more beauty therapists and all that sort of functional stuff, um, what is it, the feeling I get when I go to your website that I don't get anywhere else? It's a curated network of high quality premium service providers. So I feel special. Yeah. You feel like you're feel? Kim Kardashian yeah. who can have someone come over and do her hair and makeup, which she has, you know, at the click of a, f- have a button, you can have the exact same experience so, in your home. Right. So you're taking um, that high level, as you say, Kim Kardashian um, special position that she has because she's Kim Kardashian, you're taking that to the streets. Yeah. You're taking that to the people. You're democratizing glamour. Right. And I also think it's about convenience because there's so many mums at home who have babies who can't get to the salon and we bring the salon to them. So it's a convenient and efficient way to to get your beauty services where you are. And also, like Lauren said, have a VIP experience. Um, Lisa, that's really important, the, the, the ease of it. But there's an ease of, I don't want to undermine it, but because I want to dig a bit deeper into mm-hmm. this. Uh, the ease of what the technology does is anyone can do it. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not saying anyone can do what you guys do, but anyone can. Anyone can come and build the website and the web builders, if they were Chinese, they'll probably copy what you've done and they'll go and start doing it themselves yeah. to compete against you. But there's something that you guys bring over and above the ease, like for mums at home and all that sort of stuff. To me, that's obvious. There must be something else that Glamazon brings that makes you popular to have 30,000 users. There must be some other feeling, some emotion that I, not me, but the mums or that your customers get out of this by going to the site. Now, we started teasing out, you know, they feel like they're Kim Kardashian or having access to the same stuff Kim Kardashian gets access to. But what is it? Is it what it's do you the guys fact think? You're that in it. We uh, pre-approve and vet them, vet the stylists that give the customers the confidence to book 
on Glamazon knowing that the experience is definitely going to be a high-quality, glamorous experience. And I think if you go down the sort of archaic route of doing your own research and looking up the classifieds in the newspaper or looking up on Facebook, ultimately you don't know, you you can't see reviews, you don't know um, how this person is really going to be in person and whether they're going to be able to achieve your look. We do all of that for the customer, so we take the dirty work out of um, researching about that particular uh, professional. And also, and to add to that, they're checked. So the criminal history is checked. You can feel comfortable that this person coming into your home is tracked. It's all trackable. Um, You know who's coming into your home and we have a record of it as well instead of just having a random person from the classifieds or anywhere else coming into your house. So so does your website, um, excuse me, or does your app allow you to allow the user to track and trace the movement of the individual? That's no. a f- not right now, but that's a feature that we're looking As into. As a vision. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. So uh, that, I think that's sort of good too, by the way, because that's sort of a bit more about around the safety security mm-hmm. aspect. I mean, th- they're being tracked. So if anything ever happens, you know, where they are, when they're coming, when they're leaving and mm-hmm. how long they're there for, assuming they've got their location services on on their mobile mm-hmm. phone. Um, which is always a big <laughs> assumption funny. these days. But uh, <laughs> um, I don't know about you guys. I never put it on um, because who wants everyone tracking me? But um, irrespective, um, because like I'll give you, I'll tell you why I'm asking this question. It's an important question to me, really important. Many years ago, when I owned the the, the wizard business, um, and uh, I went to Kerry Packer, and I said, he, I, and I he said to me, "What business are you in?" Um, my response to him in my mind, I didn't answer the question. Um, to him was uh, I'm in the my business is called Wizard Home Loans. So what I'm doing is I'm providing home loans to people at a cheaper rate than the banks. It's more easier to get. I'm not being judgmental, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, okay. And he said before I had a chance to answer the question, he told me, "Don't say fucking home loans." That was that was, and you know, he said, "Your business, you're in the business of people's hopes and dreams." Mm. Yeah, that's the emotion. Um, I don't know your customer base, but there is some emotion there that you're playing yeah. into that's working. It obviously works. And the name Glamazon sort of says it. It sort of talks about the emotion. But there'd be probably five or six words that best describe the emotion and they, they won't be exactly the same word. I mean, I'm, they're not, um, they're not uh, thesaurus's versions of one meaning. There are five or six or seven different words. And I was wondering if you ever thought about what the words are that best describe what Glamazon stands for. It's actually really funny that you mentioned that because we've been talking about our tagline recently mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the words that we came up with probably relate to that. Yeah. So do you get feedback from your customers? I mean, I mean, yeah. in, a, in a, you know, I don't want to say sneaky way, but sort of data mine your customers because they're the ones who know what they feel about Glamazon yeah. better than you. Um, I think that is one of our uh, unique selling points is that we have – a growth metric of 98% plus customer satisfaction. You'll always speak to a person on the phone and we call our customers. The founders still call our customers mm-hmm. all the time. If someone makes a cancellation, we call them up straight away and ask them if there's anything that we can do. Is it because the event time has changed? Are you unwell? Would you like to rebook? And they can't believe they're speaking to the founders. I think also we are the target market ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we have an innate So are you the target market? Yeah. You're, yeah. You fit within the demos? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so we so have can, this can you tell me about it then? Can you tell me what the target market – please explain to me what the target market is. 29 to 39-year-old yep. women mm-hmm. predominantly um, who 
uh, I guess they, well, we know that our a lot of our customers have gym memberships. They like to take care of themselves. They're interested in beauty products and mm-hmm. beauty in general. Um, with They're on social media all the time. They're looking at Instagram four, five, six times a day. Um, and so we've developed this profile, a girl called Claire. Um, you know, she works in PR and she shops at, um, she buys a mon purse, you know, monogrammed phone cover case. She shops at Beck and Bridge. Um, Lulu you know, so Lemon. Lulu Lemon. Yeah. yeah she, so we've built this sort of vision of, a, of who our customer is and that customer has parts of both Lisa and I in it and represents us. Mm-hmm. And it just shows in our data. It's the same age bracket every time, the same type of customer. Okay, so you've you've got Claire. Claire's your Claire. um, Claire's Claire's your sort of champion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. And uh, and that's sort of interesting. That um and and uh, Claire, does she grow older? <laughs> of course, she grows older. So, what happens? She there? cares a lot about growing older. Mm. And so, will Claire aging. become thirty-one to forty-nine at some stage? Correct, and that is part of our. That's not our. That's your journey. Yeah, yeah right. Because <clears throat> that's what you got to be careful of. That you're not always mm-hmm. Claire, because mm-hmm. Claire, your current Claire's, you know, I don't know. Let's say of the thirty thousand, twenty five thousand are Claire's. Sooner or later, they're going to be uh, Maeve or uh, <laughs> someone else. You know, they're going to be uh, Claire. Wishes she was Claire. 31 for yeah. forever, though. Yeah, yeah, correct. But at some stage, she's not going to be there. And it's going to be a different experience that she's looking for, but to have the same outcome. Yeah. She still wants to be Claire. Right. It but is she- interesting, though, because we've got customers who I, – I know customers who used to book on Glamazon when we were a salon booking app, and they were younger. Then they started booking for engagement parties. Then they've booked Glamazon now for their own wedding, where they've brought a whole um, series of hair and makeup artists to their wedding location. Mm-hmm. And then now they're going to baby showers. And so they are growing Yeah, with totally. Us. And so now, and what I'm hoping is that, like in 20 years' time, they'll be booking for their daughter and their, yeah. you know, blah blah, etc. Yeah. So, why I tease that out of you is because I want to see if you think about this sort of stuff. But it's sort of interesting because people just think, oh, I'm going to set up this great app and I've got a great name and uh, you know it's a pretty good marketplace. And that's not the end of it because these things are forever mm-hmm. evolving. So I wanted to ask you because clearly when it first started, it was salon to customer, and for you, it was. Stylus to customer, mm-hmm. you brought it together and you've sort eliminated of, salons. Correct, you've eliminated salons because you're trying to work out what the customer wants, and you also got a sense of what the customer feels. Could you explain to me what you you two as founders and or your key staff, your your, your what I call GLT Group Leadership Team, what you talk about when you are looking to future proof your business? in relation to your current customers and new customers? What, I mean, what are the sort of conversations you have at these GLT meetings? We, well, I don't have to call them GLT, whatever you do. We, call we, them GLT. we talk about diversifying the product to suit our customer. A lot of our customers um, long for at-home yoga, at-home Pilates, um, and that's something that we're talking mm-hmm. about at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, diversification of our service offering. Also, when we started Glamazon, we had massage, nails, lashes, brows, and we had to look at the Data, listen to our customers and remove anything that you know didn't make up up to five percent of bookings. Massage was one point four percent of bookings. We removed it. Yeah. You have to constantly you you make assumptions. You roll it out. We you know work in an agile environment. If it doesn't work, remove it. Give the customers constantly what they need, and their needs are evolving all the time. If you're not tuned in to and listening to them, you'll miss the mark. Someone new will come into the market. So that's you two guys driving that. 
yeah, yeah. I would say we, we drive that. We do. And we have a wonderful general manager who's yeah. an expert in data and analytics. And so he presents us with a lot of the data and the findings and then we make a decision based on that. Okay. So you're, so you do um, – so you're saying you have analytics around your 30,000 users and the, mm-hmm. when they come in, who they are, how old they are, what mm-hmm. time they go, how many mm-hmm. often, exactly. blah, blah, blah. Um, and in terms of is, is this individual, do you employ data scientists to check your data or you're not sort of probably not big enough yet in terms of users? Yeah, we don't have data scientists, but um, our May, our general manager, he's from EY originally and so he has a lot of experience um, with different things and with data. So we're trusting him at the moment um, to present us with the correct figures. I want to talk to you about um, how you market your business, um, how you use FB, what, what are you doing, you know, you know, are you using influencers, micro-influencers, larger influencers, how, how you work it. Let's go to the break and we'll come back and talk about that mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Cool. Okay, welcome back um, with Lauren and Lisa. Um, their business is called Glamazon. We sort of dug into the, the emotional side of the branding, and, but that's pretty important in terms of the messaging. I know that technology is really important, and but I don't think these shows are as much about the technology. To be frank with you, the technology is um, pretty much ubiquitous because the same technology for marketplaces can be built by lots of really good web builders and, and uh, platform builders. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to undermine it, but I don't think it's anything special. I, I'm not. I haven't looked at yours, but I'm just saying it's generally speaking not very special. I mean, it is about being able to gather data, as being able to transact. It's about the functionality and the bookings and all that sort of stuff. But like lots of people are doing all over the place. What is special about your business? Because your business is working. What is special about your business is that there is a message that's being sent to your customers, which is consistent and happening all the time, and is being fulfilled. And what that comes down to is um, your execution around making sure that the people you send to your customers um, or to the customers of the website um, are, are delivering the same sort of message that you stand for. So which is why I wanted to get into the messaging part earlier on. What I would like to like to do now is get into the more functional stuff. So one, you, if you've got a message, you've got to send the message out. How do you get the message out? How, how do you market your business? Obviously, Lauren, you're a PR person. Marketing is yep. your game. But I'd say Lisa probably knows a little bit about marketing too. So <laughs> um, how do you do that? What, what uh, Do you use influencers? Do you use Facebook? I guess you use all these things, but tell me. Marketing is a layered approach. It starts at the top with PR, and we have a fabulous PR agency, Roxy Jasenko from Sweaty Betty. She's onto it. And uh, she says to say hello. <laughs> hello, <Bunny>. Roxy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that sits at the top of it and that really gives us the um, credibility, the education piece and the credibility that overarches all of our um, Does she run events market. for you and stuff like that? No, not really, but we do attend her events and, and that's a good networking opportunity for us. Um, and we, you know, we contribute to gift bags and stuff like that with discount codes. Um, but that really sits at the top and that supports our digital marketing strategies, such as our Facebook ads and Instagram ads, because customers then know who we are before they see the ad. So when we come up on their feed, they know exactly who we are. Oh, as seen in Vogue, as seen in Harper's. Um, so that's really important. We use SEM is really, really important for us. It's a huge channel. You yeah, we find it. that um, AdWords, it gives us a better return than Facebook ads, which is interesting because we originally thought it would be the other. But when we looked at our um, our customer acquisition cost on both channels, our AdWords was a lot less than what our Facebook. So if was. I type in um, 
Well, I mean, what are people traditionally at typing home. in? At home so makeup, right? Bridal makeup, and, and where do you guys jump out? Like when the, when I go into the search on Google, yeah, let's say we Google. should, yeah, we should come up on the top as the, one of the first ads, right? Okay, and and then once once I see that and I hit on that, um, is there sort of um, <clears throat> excuse me, do you sort of throw a whole lot of references at me or uh, not not references like um, you know, endorsements? I mean, I mean, what, how do I know that you're good? Yeah, sure. So you will come onto our page and you'll see our press, like Lauren said. So yeah. you'll see where we've been, yeah. um, testimonials from customers. That's what I'm talking about, testimonials. Yeah, yeah, correct. So the there's customer yeah. testimonials and examples of our stylist work. So you can see from what we give you on our homepage on our website that we're a reputable company. Right, okay. So And that's working best for you, mm-hmm. your, your search? Yeah. Yeah, okay. but we've tried everything. We've even done street posters. Now we're looking into Snapchat, Tinder as well as an advertising channel. And you've just got to try it. Uh, and it makes sense. If you get a date on Tinder, why not get your hand you on it? I guess it head. makes sense too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so what you're saying is someone's on Tinder and they're, they're organizing a date with whoever. Yeah. And uh, an, ad and, 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 and an ad pops up and says, yeah. oh, why don't you get yourself glammed up? Yeah, here's $10. If, I, yeah, here's a $10 code to glam up for okay, your day. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah, that makes sense, I guess so. Cause, so you're hunting new new avenues all the time. Yeah. What, what about um, in, influencers? Do you use micro-influencers? What do you use? No. We, we used to yeah. um, before this big surge of Insta celebrities, I guess, and it used to give us a lot of return. But now we find that the traction, it just isn't there. So we tend to steer away from influencers at the moment. Right. So you're not, so you, you don't try, well, what about sort of the The micro influencers, yeah. the users, yeah. a lot of them who do repost might have anywhere between 2,000 and 6,000 the followers. And they're the ones who mm-hmm. post and tag us Bang. and we'll get, we'll get traction. Yeah. Uh, I love this. It just got done yeah. by Glamazon and Mary from Glamazon just gave me a great whatever. Yeah. What do they do? What do they do? <laughs> Eyebrow arch or something. I don't know. What do they call it? <laughs> Blow drive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I look awesome and I'm about to go on a Tinder date. <laughs> That and then does it just work. and it blows out. It's awesome. That's cool. No, no, no. But I, and and because I think the micro influencers are really good, particularly user influencers. Like if you've got a user of your product who's got I don't care if it's one hundred or three thousand, they're free of all of a sudden, mm-hmm. yeah. and they're, they're showcasing what they just experienced. Yeah. So it's not a not a bullshit thing. Like it's real. Yeah. yeah. And it has a lot of impact. The people with less followers, I think, a lot of the bigger ones tend to buy followers of all that sort of thing, and you just don't get the. Traction. Well, everybody knows they're getting paid to endorse. Yeah, I mean, it's these these so real endorsers only got a thousand people. They got yeah. there's nothing no upside for them doing. It. They're just happy with the way they look. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So, so you, so you, and how about Facebook? We do Facebook advertising, yeah, yep. and Instagram advertising, but our budget for social media advertising is a little less than SEM than AdWords because of the result we get. Right, okay. All and right. then we do internal strategies like we send out fortnightly EDMs to our database and that it always has a VIP code in there that's more than what you might find on a Tinder ad, so it's usually like a $15 code, and that's where we get a lot of traction as well. Um, and then we have a Facebook group called the Glamazon Star Squad, and it's basically we want our stylists to feel like a family so we communicate there and we ask them to share photos before and afters of their clients and we give them the opportunity to be featured on our Instagram page or our newsletter and so it's like user-generated content and we just get people creating content for us they feel special they feel part of a community so that works almost as a marketing channel as well because then we give them codes to share with their friends to book them and yeah. so who how, how do you go about gathering I mean you know there's no point in having customers if you don't have the other side, mm-hmm. um, which is the stylus. How do you go about finding a stylus? 
I started off because I had a, a strong network of contacts from my fashion label. So I started off with all of the people I knew and then the people they knew. And I think that was a base of about 200 stylists Australia-wide. Mm-hmm. And then it seems to spread by word of mouth. We did a little bit of advertising on Facebook Not to much. acquire stylists, two weeks, I think. Um, but other than that, it's just been organic. So people have been speaking to other people. And I think it's a difficult industry for people to promote themselves without a lot of budget. If you're a makeup artist in... Dubbo, for example, and you don't have a big budget to put your name out there, how do customers find you? So our makeup artists and hairstylists see this as a platform to advertise themselves and to gain more work. So it's there's no downside for them. Are there any competitors for this? I mean, I I don't know, but I know what Airtasker does, but I don't know if they have stylists on there. Do they have stylists? No. Okay, so um, what about... uh, I mean, it's sort of of like a little bit what like freelance does, but they don't get into beauty. Um, Is there anyone sort of doing this... There are a few smaller companies doing the same thing. Um, we were first to market, so we have um, first mover advantage, and I believe that we're the biggest in the market at the moment. Well, we're Australia wide, which mm-hmm. we're the only national platform. Right. So, so because it's pretty important. Let's say how many how many stylists would you have on there for? I would say. I think just under eight hundred. Yeah. Okay. So the so I go into your website and I'm looking to get glammed up for a date, and um. And and I'm you know I've got to get my eyebrows fixed blah blah blah. <laughs> so I, I look on there and do I see the whole eight hundred? How's no. it work? No, so it's um, location based. So you'd put in the address of your appointment. So I put in Bondi, mm-hmm. and then and at the moment you have the option to to, to choose two levels of stylists. So we have our Glamazon X who are our expert stylists and our Glamazon Blacks who are our elite level stylists with celebrity Uber style. Editorial yeah, okay. um, and bridal experience. So, depending on you know how yeah. gorgeous your date is, um, you would choose. Well, the- it's tennis. So I don't know. Okay. So. <laughs> well, let's go for the top level. Just okay, in case. just in case. Okay, so I, so I, I and do, but, do, but do, when I go for the top level, um, black or X, whatever it is, yeah. um, do the do the people come up? Like so, like or just whoever's available comes to see me. Yeah. First in best dresser, whoever accepts so the booking on, on the other, other side, yeah, yeah. side yeah. and then you get told Anita has picked up your booking, Anita calls you, then you can have the chat and you know that Anita's been pre-approved and classified as a glam black, which means she's a certain skill level. So I'm not, I'm not taking sort of so much risk no, that I'm right. going to get some punter yeah. who's yeah. got no idea. They all have five-star and, reviews, all the top ones. Right, so. okay. So I can read her reviews, Anita's reviews before I let her... You can, see their, you, can you can see, see their star pro- rating. Yeah, and right. their profile. So once Anita's accepted your job in the app, you can scroll through her work and yeah. read her bio so you feel comfortable. that. And once know. you've had an experience with Anita at the end, you can favourite her for rebooking right, if okay. you really love her. Right, okay, cool. So so do you find that um, um, of your 800, there's sort of like um, if I, you know, you draw a graph, I mean, maybe your metrics show you this, but your your analyst shows you this stuff, but are you finding that it's uh, skewed to maybe 20 Stylists say in Sydney. I mean, is there is there twenty people who keep getting rebooked? We have an algorithm that uh, judges our stylists across four different categories. So, for instance, star rating, how active they are in the app, how many bookings they pick up per week, something else, and it gives them a score out of forty, and then that score is punched into an algorithm. So they're getting sent the bookings before. Oh, I don't think they they're getting them sent before. 
Not just yet. That's about to roll Okay. Up. So, but those ones, ideally, which is in the pipeline, they would be getting sent the booking five minutes before anyone else, just to ensure that we can maintain that 98% plus customer satisfaction. Yep. The most important thing is the customer getting an instant accepted booking from a top rated stylist. So the more active you are, the higher your points go up out of 40. And so the more opportunity for you to get that first message. Okay. Because sort of, I mean, I guess what my wife's saying this to you, because I'm, I think, listeners need to hear that the evolution of your website or its capability um, and functionality <clears throat> is very important, but also you want to make sure it's not so good that it doesn't kill you, cripple your business mm. or create a problem in that um, you get a sort of a, a mean which is to the left or to the right of um, yeah. the axis, which sort of shows that, um, you know, if you had 100,000 users, that they're all requesting six stylists because of your own system. Mm-hmm. You don't want to become so, a, a you, yeah. know, you want to become it's, a victim of your own great system. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because our model prior to now was you could actually pick your stylist. So all of our stylists were available on the platform. That would be a problem, I would have thought, yeah. over time. It over was time a it problem was. over time. So that's why we had to remove it because it was our the way our system works is it sends requests out and customers felt like they were actually sending a booking to a stylist and if that stylist didn't pick it up we redirected it out to the marketplace and it led to unhappy customers because they want they wanted that particular person because that was an option yeah they wanted their private stylist yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so so i mean it's trial and error and we found that that didn't work but we also want to give customers the opportunity to have someone that they've had before and that they've loved um, so that's why we've brought in the rebooking feature yeah cuz it sort of can skew and it can sort of um, um, sort of disturb the rhythm of your business because it can skew towards somebody and un- unfortunately somebody that unfortunately with these people you're making them famous you're making your stylist really important mm-hmm. and what you don't want to happen is they say well see you later I'm off going to grab these 10 clients myself I mean that, that which means you get disintermediated so right, right. And right now you're what they call an intermediary mm-hmm. you sit in the middle between the groups where you're one of the risks of intermediaries is they get disintermediated, mm-hmm. and um, you get disintermediated by your your your, your best glamazon people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, let's say, I'm, I'm not suggesting this could ever happen, but let's say ten of your best people in Sydney said, "Stuff this, we're all going to go together, and we're going to call it uh, Amazon Glam." Or something. <laughs> and, uh, and so, do, do you 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 conscious of these sorts of risks, managing yeah. these risks? We are, and we um, have certain incentives to keep our stylists on board. So, that firstly, there's a big gripe in the industry and across the industry. Makeup artists, hairstylists have a very big problem trying to collect money from their clients. So, for them. It's, it's probably the biggest problem in the industry, invoicing, chasing money, and then they forget about Even it. And it's quoting that, yeah, is that it's awkward unc- conversation. When we interview our stylists, they hate saying how much they charge yeah. because they somehow always end up giving a free appointment virtually. Yeah. So we take payment from the customer at the time of booking. We automatically release that into their bank account 48 hours after they complete the booking so they can feel comfortable. They don't have to invoice. The money's going to be there. It's guaranteed. Um, And also we have stylist incentives. So if they complete a certain amount of bookings each week, we give them a cash bonus. Yeah, greater commission. So is the commission, do you pay them a commission or are they paying you a commission? They're paying us a commission. So we're retaining the commission and passing on their section of money to them. Right, and, okay. And I have a funny anecdote about um, this whole topic of retention. When I was a salon booking platform, um, a salon that I had on board 
kept getting bookings from this one customer. And so the salon manager called me and said, look, this customer's booking through Glamazon all the time and you're taking the 15% cut from every booking. I'm just going to give her the mo- my mobile number and she can book me direct. And I said, that is totally up to you. Feel free to give her your mobile number. I don't mind. The customer went in, had her service. I'm guessing that the manager gave her the uh, mobile number. Then the customer booked again through Glamazon. And I got a call from the manager again saying, I gave her, what did you do? I gave her my mobile number and she still booked through Glamazon. Said, the market has spoken. She prefers to, to you know, press two buttons and have a booking booked and paid for mm. than texting you or calling you, liaising back and forth, trying to find a booking. And so our job is to create the most seamless product possible for customers to continue using the platform whilst also incentivizing our stylists to stay there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I, and I think the game here is you just got to keep ahead of, with your technology, you just got to keep ahead of the risks. Yeah. I mean, because there are risks. I mean, you've got to be aware of them. Every first. business got to, you've got to be aware of them, then you've got to yeah. keep ahead of them. You've got to future, keep future proofing your business. And that's where the founders come in. The founders are the people who can look into the future and build some predictive science around what I've got to do to de risk a business and what I've got to do to emerge better than everyone else in the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the game you guys got to play. It's the game I play. And so that becomes the role of the proprietors and the founders and, yeah. and your advisors as well. Okay, guys, um, this is, I, I know this, we've teased this out over a, a nearly an hour um, and it's a bit different to your presentation on the Shark Tank. Um, <laughs> I've actually got to find out about your business and I, I really think it's fantastic. And if you raise good money, I mean, I don't even have time to ask you how you raise at $1.2 million in capital, but that's fantastic. I mean, it means you must have a great business model. But more importantly, I think whoever's giving you the money, investing the money, means they accept that you guys are onto it. You're more. You're neither one of you beauticians are you, or stylists no. or hairdressers. So, generally speaking, my experience is they're the the best people to run these types of businesses and not be the person who does that work. Because what happens is if you get a therapist, whatever he's called, a stylist or whatever they call <laughs> hair hair person, they tend to get stuck on the the job itself, mm-hmm. and they don't have the ability to stand back and actually get others to be doing that part and then running the business. In other words, they get stuck in the business and not stuck on the business. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I had some experience recently with a hairstylist and um, a beauty stylist as well. And they're running a business and they just couldn't get their head out of doing the job as opposed well, – Their ego is attached and it's very emotional. It's all about them. Yeah. I, and I don't mean in a bad way. It's all about their emotion and, and, and what they want to do to people's hair and all that sort of stuff. Whereas if they want to be – broader and have a big, big business like you guys have got, you have to be about being in the business of mm-hmm. this as opposed to being in the business. Mm-hmm. And there's we a big have difference. a saying, um, we say that we'd rather win than be right. We don't care whether what we suggest is the right or wrong answer as long as it wins. And, you know, we'll put, to, we'll put forward suggestions for how we should grow the business. And one of us might be right and one of us, one of us might be wrong. But you have to remove your ego from it and go, whatever it takes to make the business go forward, you can't be emotional about it. This totally. is business. It, it, it can't be wedded. Um, yeah. Could I just quickly ask you, because I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask me a question, but I'll quickly ask you a question. At any stage, you ever thought about building, uh, um, uh, producing your own product? It's interesting. One of our competitors overseas is doing exactly that. And I think that makes you a beauty company. Um, at the moment, we're a tech company. We're a marketplace. So it's something that's not really in our sights right now. Okay. Is it because you want to stay tech and uh, marketplace or is it because – because the, the trade-off is that you might make a lot of money out of it because a lot of lot, lot of markup in product. 
Right. And there's a lot of investment in developing product totally. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So with the money that we've raised at the moment, our focus is on the marketplace and growing that. So, the, okay. That's, that's fair enough. So mm-hmm. right now in your current stage, mm-hmm. the money you just raised, how long ago did you raise it? Um, the last, yeah, the cl- last November. November. Yeah. Okay, so you raise one point two million, and the objective, the reason why you raise one point two is to do what did you tell your investors? What's the money to be spent on? Tech. We needed to hire a bunch of people. We had just hired a CTO, front end dev, um, and this is all in house. By the way, we've built our own proprietary systems, so that's important to us. Um, and then marketing, marketing. right? Mm-hmm. So we can scale Australia and start looking so at APAC region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking about scale. scale. Yeah. So I mean, you're, you're right, and, and you know, I don't know. We, I mean, once you get scale, which is probably not, you're not 30,000 is not scale, but if you had, I don't know, you might have a better idea of scale. But let's say, for example, 300,000 is scale. You then might start to think to yourself, okay, how can I get more out of the scale? Mm-hmm. Which is the point at which you start thinking about other products, et cetera. But this is about scale right now. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Okay. What question do you guys have? There's two of you. Is there one question? <laughs> I had a question. Okay. Uh, Lisa and I, as you know, we were direct competitors. We merged. We're constantly looking um, at merger opportunities globally um, as well as acquisition opportunities. With your experience- You being acquired in- or you acquiring? Us being acquired. Right. With your experience in- with Wizard Home Loans, mm. I know that um, you know eight years after you started it, it was acquired. Three years. Three years. Wow. It's yeah. it. Well, Wikipedia says- <laughs> Wikipedia? Are you yeah, serious? <laughs> Yeah, that says something very incorrect then. Um, well, I mean, that's congratulations. That's amazing. Did, were you looking for an acquisition opportunity? Did it just fall no. in? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, actually, I had a conversation with Kerry Pack and Kerry, who was my partner at the time, and Kerry said, son, right now we have $19 billion worth of debt. And he said, and I'm a multi-billionaire, but he said, oh, even I'm uncomfortable with that and because it's, like, it's more than he had. And um, <clears throat> and uh, to me, it didn't bother me. I couldn't care less because on the flip side of that, I had $19 billion worth of assets as well. So. Mm. And my debt and my assets were completely matched in, in every, you know, you know, I mean, in a structural sense. So I didn't have any interest rate exposure. I had no currency exposure and I had no prepayment exposure because I had it all hedged with big banks. And his view was the big banks, you can't trust them. And, uh, and t- because he, he was predicting the GFC. So Kerry was predicting the GFC. Um, I then said to him, okay, Kerry, well, why don't we go and um, – instead of borrowing money to lend to, to people, because we used to borrow money overseas and lend it to Australians. I said, instead of doing that, why don't I rent a bank's balance sheet? So what actually happened is General Electric, who bought us out, knew that we were going to rent a bank's balance sheet. And they were worried that they were going to lose all the mortgage insurance business I was giving them because the bank's balance sheet I was going to rent did not use General Electric. Now, it's a long story, but the reason I'm saying is it was just by chance. General mm-hmm. Electric thought, oh, my God, if, if Boris sells, if Boris rents... It was going to be Westpac, Westpac's balance sheet. We will lose all the business that Wizards giving us, which we were their biggest customer in Australia, probably in the whole Asian region. So General Electric said we better make a bid for it to, to and a hold the insurance that they used to do for us, which the mortgage insurance, which they did for us, which is hugely profitable for them. And at the same time, they thought um, they they would gain, own the business as well. And G had a need to own a business in Australia that could do this because they were a lender as well. So it was just chance. But the it was, timing, would you say? But the reason I Kerry I accepted is because Kerry was getting nervous, so he was getting nervous about our capacity. So let's say your business got to, I don't know, million users, your your capacity changes and uh, it becomes a big business for you guys, and it's not that easy to run big businesses. Mm-hmm. My view and Kerry's view when G were presenting itself, which if they had presented themselves early and three years earlier, two years earlier, one year, I probably wouldn't have done it. But my view was this business belongs in the hands of someone much bigger than me. 
Yeah, mm. You know, because we've got big debts. We It's just we became a huge business. And uh, so and I didn't want to sell to a bank because mm-hmm. I thought that was a sellout. So I sold to General Electric. That's that's how it happened. I wasn't looking, but the circumstances told me that I should do it. Okay. So my my answer to the question is you'll know when the right time to exit comes or, or part exit or fully exit. You'll know. And, and And sometimes it comes down to your appetite to continue on and it doesn't mean the business is no good but it means that you know like I need a big partner or a big partner should take control of this yeah and but until that time comes um do you advise us to constantly be on the lookout and to be fostering those relationships with potential acquisition opportunities completely which is what I always did yeah and and be open and transparent to the people you're fostering those relationships with you know that you are open to partnership and those sorts of things because Look, some of my competitors had the view at the time, and we know who the competitors are. I mean, they're still around these days, both of which are now owned by two big banks. One, Westpac owns Ram and CBA Rams, and CBA owns Aussie. But both my competitors had the view that they wanted to own everything, and they never they they never gave the vibe out they would be prepared to do a partnership with anyone. I am a partnership style person. I like to do business with other people. I, it's I, I'd rather have hundred percent of you know, a business worth ten million. I'd rather sorry, I'd rather fifty percent of a business worth twenty million than a hundred percent of a business worth ten. Mm-hmm. That's sort of still still ten ten doesn't make any difference. But I'd just rather be a, a percentage of a, a bigger business because yeah. there's less risk. But I like to have partners there who give me value. Yeah. yeah. So if you've got to give that vibe out, you've got to talk to people who might become your partner and you know, they might say, we'll buy all of it instead of half of it. We'll buy half of it, which takes the pressure off you. And then, mm. you know, at some stage they become your ultimate buyer as well. Yeah. But there's a game to be played here because, you know, if you, you've you got to be very careful here because if you sell 50% to a big organisation, the only person who's going to buy the other 50% is that big organisation because no one's going to want to become a shareholder with a big, big, big organisation. So there's a game to be played and you've got to think it through, mm-hmm. but always be – sort of on the market, so to speak. You know, we were talking about Tinder before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you've got to, you've got to continu- continually be representing yourself as not an easy get, but someone who would be open to being, in, uh, would be open to having a big partner. And from there, you don't know what happens. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Thanks Lauren and Lisa, that was awesome. Thank cool. you. That was great. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.